The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we're putting Mary Jo Buttafuoco on the couch. Actually, she's put herself on the couch in her new book called Getting It Through My Thick Skull, Why I Stayed, What I Learned, and What Millions of People Involved with Sociopaths Need to Know. And I'm sure a lot of you listening to the show today will remember the story uh, that occurred in May 1992 when Mary Jo was shot uh, by her the, what was then called uh, the Long Island Lolita. I'll let her give you all the details. Um, but what I want to say is that, first of all, I want to say that I read this book and I couldn't put it down. I had other things that I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> but I totally <laughs> well, uh, ditched them and kept reading the book. And um, I recommend it to everyone for a number of reasons. Um, but I, I just want to say, Mary Jo, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on, Carol. And um, this took a lot of courage. I mean, not only did you did it take a lot of courage to go through what you went through from 1992 on, but it also took a lot of courage to be so disarmingly honest in your book. And I applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, for years and years and years, people would say to me, Oh, Mary Jo, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I was always like, no, 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 you don't get it. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to relive it. It was very painful to go through. But it was in this conversation that I had with my son two years ago where my son proclaimed that his father was a sociopath that it, it you know, kind of shook me up. I, I didn't realize, like I said, oh, no, sociopaths are Charles Manson's and Ted Bundy's. And, and my son said, no, Mom, there's other kinds of sociopaths. And I... I looked it up on the Internet, and I started to read the list. And when I went through the list, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and it was like that bulb went off, and I said, this is the answer. This is what I was living with all of my life and didn't even know it. I always used to say, what is wrong with you? Why don't you grow up? Why can't you change? You know, I grew up. Why don't you grow up? It would go on and on. And now I realize with this diagnosis that, he, he will never change, and he will never get it. And it allowed me to understand what it was, and I said, you know, I'm kind of a smart lady, but I really got fooled by this type of a person. And I thought if I wrote it down and spread the word that maybe out there somebody else will see this trait in somebody else they love, whether it's a child or a parent or a spouse or a coworker, and understand and, and get ed- educated on sociopathy, what do they say, sociopathy? Yes, sociopathy. <laughs> and to 
say, okay, you know what, this is a lost cause, and then they can move on with their life and, and get out of these uh, toxic relationships. Yes, and um, I'm sure you could, you'll give us some examples of that, of, of how he was that way. Um, and, of course, the, the, the reason why it's so important to let people know about this kind of personality is because they are so manipulative and there's so much of a pull. They exert such a pull on people to stay with them that um, it's not like, you know, I don't know, somebody who's <laughs> I, just any other kind of psychological problem, somebody who's depressed or somebody who's anxious or somebody who's even obsessive-compulsive or whatever other psychological problem you can think of. Um, no one is as manipulative as a sociopath, and that's why it's so hard to get away from them. But why don't we start with that day in May um, when your whole life changed, May 1992. Yes, yes. Um, I tell this story in the book. It's amazing. I recall it so vividly. It's something that's never left me. It's something that I think about all the time, and I remember almost exactly what happened. And I I was a young housewife on Long Island in a town called Massapequa. It was May 19th. It was a Tuesday at around noon. Uh, my little ones were 12 and 9 and, you know, just finishing up third grade and sixth grade. And it was the first day I let them ride their bicycles to school together because the weather was nice. It was a beautiful day and they had some friends. So, you know, that's where I was. And my big project for the day was that I was going to paint a bench in the backyard. I'd been waiting all spring to kind of do this. The weather's good. So I get my stuff all together. I get the kids off to school. I throw some laundry in. I uh, clean up. I put on my painting clothes. Out I go. I'm doing this. And I'm into the project about 15 or 20 minutes, and the doorbell rings. And because it was such a lovely day, I had the front door open with the screen door closed, and then I had the back door open. So from the, I could see through, through the house, the front door, and there was this young girl at the front door. So I got up, I, I you know, put the brush down on top of the can, and I walked through the house, and I said, yeah, can I help you? And she says, are you Mrs. Buttafuoco? And I said, yeah. And she says, I need to talk to you about your husband, Joe. I said, okay. So I proceed to step outside. Now, you've got to picture this. It's, it's noon on a Tuesday in, in a sub suburb, lawnmowers are blowing and cars are driving by and I see this girl and across the street I see a car with a boy in it. And my first thought was, oh, she must need an estimate or something because over the years, Joey and I had been married for 15 years at that point, uh, people would come, they'd have accidents with their car or they'd, they'd lose a mirror and they'd want to know if Joe could fix it. So that was like my first thought. There was nothing to indicate that anything was going to be any different from any other day in my life. So I go outside, and the first thing she said, I said, what can I do for you? And I lean against this little, I had this little stoop, and we were about five feet apart from each other. And I lean against one side, and she's on the other, and she goes, um, I need to talk to you about Joe. He's having an affair with my little sister. And I, I the first thing I was like, I look, little sister? I mean, this, she looked to me at that time to be about 15 years old. So the first words out of my mouth was, your little sister, how old are you? And she goes, I'm 19 years old. Didn't you just hear what I said? And I said, yeah, I heard you, but you know, I, I don't know what to make of this or to believe it. And then she went on, and we spoke for about a minute and a half where she um, said that uh, this is her little sister, and she pulled out a T-shirt, 
a complete auto body T-shirt, which was my husband's business at the time, and handed it to me and said she found this in her bed while uh, she was making her little sister's bed, and she said her little sister was 16. She kept referring to her little sister, little sister who was 16. So instead of reacting, I guess maybe she thought I would react like a 16 or a 17-year-old, I, I, I went into what I call mother mode, and I started to say, where do you live? What's your name? Who's the guy in the car? And, and, and she's answering, but I could see her getting nervous. But I didn't feel any fear or any sense that anything was going to happen to me. And she's like, don't you believe me? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know what you want me to make of this. So after this brief conversation, I said, look, i got to go back and paint. I don't know what you want me to do about this. In my head, I'm going, oh, what did he do now? Because I had been living with Joey for 15 years. So right away, it was like, oh, my God, what is, who is this kid and what does she want? So that was like my main thought. I, I wanted to get in the house to call him. So but I you weren't her. thinking at that point that he did have sex with her little sister. You just thought that he had gotten into some mischief. Exactly, exactly. Up until that point, infidelity had not been an issue in my marriage. Like, it wasn't like, aha, again, <laughs> it hadn't come up ever. I had never caught him at anything. If he did anything, I never had heard about it or knew about it up to that point. So I said to her, look, I- I'm going to go in and call Joey. Uh, thanks for coming by. And I turned my head to the right, and I got my hand on the the screen door, and in that second, this explosion went off in the side of my head, and my only thought was, where did she get the bat? Because Mm. I didn't understand what had happened. I just knew that something slammed into my head, like a bowling ball going 100 miles an hour, and, and that was it. I was out, gone. So you never saw the gun? Never saw the gun. Apparently, I mean, obviously now... Um, she had her hands in her pocket, and she must have had her finger on the trigger mm. in her pocket because, you know, you think about it in real time, it took me all of two seconds to turn my head and get the door open, and she pulled out the gun and then aimed it at my head and pulled the trigger. In that split second, it happened. And, I mean, I guess you, you and you were standing about... Five feet apart? Oh, oh, I had powder burns on the side of my face, so it was point blank. It was as if I could... You know, committed suicide. It was probably mm. less than uh, nine inches mm, from, from mm. the barrel of the gun to, to the side of my head. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so the next thing you knew was? Well, <laughs> then I wake up three days later. I mean, I, I intermittently woke up, and I, I write about this, that like the very first memory I have was just like you see in the movies, this big, I'm, I'm laying down in this big bright light is, and, I have, and this nurse, this lady is over me and she's yelling at me and she's saying, Mary Jo, Mary Jo, you're at the Nassau County Medical Center. You've been shot. <laughs> and, and, you know, and apparently they do that to kind of stimulate because they must have seen I was coming out of this coma and they do that. They're told to shout and let the person know where they are and what they're doing so they don't get scared. And I remember hearing that and then I must have gone out again. Because then the next time I woke up, I I wanted, I, I was like now becoming conscious, and I had these the police over me and Joe over me, and everybody's like, do you know who did this to you? And I'm trying to talk, but I didn't realize at the time I had a tracheotomy, uh, you know, a trach tube in my throat, so I couldn't, and I couldn't breathe, and it just, it just, I started to come to, but I was scared, but yet I knew, I know what happened, I know what happened, mm-hmm. and I wanted to tell them. Mm-hmm. And so because I couldn't speak, I, I motioned with my hand to scribble, like give me something to write on. And they did. I, somehow a pad and a paper, a pen was produced. And the first thing I wrote was, was I shot? 
because that's what I remember somebody saying to. It's a very strange thing, unconscious to consciousness. Yes, because so when she said to you the first time, when she said you were shot, did that did that make sense to you? Did did you remember at that point that yes, you or or I guess you didn't realize even. Did you realize no. at that point that you had been shot? No, because it was in the conscious. So then when I wake up and I remember somebody, like I knew something hit me in the side of the head. Right. Um, so what I wrote was, I shot, and they said, yes. And they said, do you know who did this to you? And they had, for three days I had been in this coma, and so they were going on the assumption that it was a man. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I wrote down 19-year-old girl, because that's how old she told me she was, and they went, a girl? And I went, Anne-Marie. I wrote down the things I could remember. And 19-year-old girl, Anne-Marie, a T-shirt. I mean, they have the, you know, the paper somewhere. And I started to write, she told me, and I wanted to tell her this, tell them the story. She told me that Joey was having an affair. She was, mm-hmm. her little sister was having an affair, but I must have passed out again. So the, the next thing I recall is, Somehow I was the tube was taken out, and I, I guess I regained consciousness. And I did was aware that you know I got shot. Like she shot me in, in the head. Uh, that must have been it. So all of my life, the, the, the story, the book, the book title comes from all of my life. I'm a thick-headed Irish girl, and as growing up as a child, my mother always used the refrain of me, "Mary Jo, when are you going to get it through your thick skull?" Mary Jo, get it through your thick skull, whatever it might be. You know, you can't go out, you have to eat your vegetables, whatever it could be, get it through your thick head. Mm. So when this happened, what? I have a, a gallow sense of you were up and I hear the music. So yes, yes. We need to leave on a cliffhanger here. here. And I said, and, I guess the thick skull really came in handy. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when we come back, we'll hear more of the story. My guest is Mary Jo Botafuco. Her book is called Getting It Through My Thick Skull, Why I Stayed, What I Learned, and What Millions of People Involved with Sociopaths Need to Know. And we'll be hearing more about that when we come back. Uh, You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... 
Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest today, Mary Jo Butafuco. Her her book is called Getting It Through My Thick Skull, as she was just explaining before the break, that ironically, that's what her mother used to say to her uh, when she would tell her to eat her vegetables and such. Um, Why I stayed, what I learned, and what millions of people involved with sociopaths need to know. We were just... Uh, well, it's all kind of a lot of cliffhangers, actually, in your story, but we were just talking about how um, what was happening when you were coming out of your coma after having been shot by the Long Island Lolita Amy Fisher. Yeah. Uh, well, after that, then it became this sensational tabloid story that I watched unfold from my hospital bed. It, it, it grew its own life. I'd never seen anything like it before. We never. It was 1992. So there was no reality TV. There was no Internet. You didn't have a whole lot of cable channels. And it just turned into this explosion of this, because a young teenage what, suburban middle-class girl shoots this woman who the, the man, he's an Italian auto body repair shop guy. I think just the central casting couldn't have done a better <laughs> job, if you know what I mean about, uh-huh. about that. I see that now and I can laugh, but at the time I just, I was blown away. I was very, very, very sick, and believe me, I wasn't enjoying any of it. I was really in bad shape. And um, when the when this started playing out on television, your husband Joey was by your side. And tell us about how, when these things came out, how he would deny, you know, could be convincing in his denials. Oh, it, it was incredible. Uh, the first thing that we saw uh, was on TV where they did a press conference and the police officer said on the television, uh, Mr. Buttafuoco has admitted to a brief affair with uh, Amy Fisher. And he got up and screamed, What? I never said that. He was like a madman. He was 
you know, the perfect picture of a, a person acute, falsely accused. And he swore to everybody, all of us, up and down, I never said that. I never had anything to do with her. They are lying. I fixed her car. I knew who she was. I knew her parents. But I never had sex with her. I never, ever did that. And he just would go on and on and on. He was outraged at this accusation made to him. And he was very convincing. So I believed him. And when he said, she's crazy, she must be obsessed with me, it made sense because you would think, what on earth what would a 17-year-old girl do? You know, she had never met me. She would never seen me before. But she had the capacity to, after speaking to me, when I turned away, shoot me in the head with a gun. That, that's a scary, frightening thing to think of. So when Joe was going, she's out of her mind, I'm believing him because it's like she is out of her mind. And, you know, you have to be to do something like this. So it was easier to believe him. And then we found out more and more that she was working as a, a, a not a hooker, but a call girl, I guess, in some place on Long Island. And somebody had taped her, so there was evidence. And it did show that, you know, Amy was no normal child, uh, you know, teenage child. As a matter of fact, uh, the district attorney at the time said publicly that uh, calling Amy Fisher a schoolgirl is like calling John Gotti a businessman. Yes, that was quite and, a line. Remember? <laughs> Good and, line. And they kept her in jail on $2 million bail, which was, again, another unheard of precedent because it was a first, she was a first-time offender. She was 17. She was a white girl, and I use it just that way, meaning all of these things, $2 million bail. That it was unheard of because they knew she was that dangerous. And the irony, of course, uh, as to how she made that bail. Yeah, by, by, well, then that started the next roller coaster ride, well, which was the selling the rights to a TV show and a book. Yes, yes. I mean, that in itself is surreal. But you know, and, and so they were. The media was portraying it as fatal attraction, um, the the burly mechanic and sweet little schoolgirl. And in fact, these these two boys, her. I guess who she knew from school came forward and said that um, that they. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell the story? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the, the attorney, Amy's attorney, he was looking. It was called the Joey made me do it defense, and every and that's what he was using. I gave me had already admitted that she did it, so now he had to say that Joey made her do it. But these two boys from school, I guess in in twelfth grade, that. Um, she came to, she, apparently she was very obsessed with having me out of the picture. And she asked this one boy uh, if, if for oral sex and $400 if he would kill me, and she, he said yes, apparently. And then he came to my house, and I remember, Amy, I didn't know it was Amy Fisher, but six months earlier a young girl came to my house to sell me candy bars on the pretense of like a fundraiser for school. And the way I found this story out, mm. about three weeks after I was shot, I was home in bed, and the detective, lead detective on the case called and said, Marriage, I want you to put your thinking cap on. I have to ask you something. I said, okay. He said, do you remember about six or seven months ago a, a girl coming to your house and selling you candy? And I, my heart stopped, and I said, yes. Wow. How do you know that? Because I had never told anybody. And the story was, this girl came to my house. She sold me, on the pretense of a fundraiser for school, a 59-cent candy bar. It was a Nestle's Crunch Bar. And I knew that because I turned around the back and said, 59 cents grocery. And I thought, she ripped me off, like this kid, because I gave her a dollar. And it's like, who is this kid? And I couldn't find her. I looked out the window, and she was hmm. gone. So when the, when the policeman says, 
you know, do you remember this girl? I'm like, how do you know this? I never told anybody in the whole world. I never even told Joe. She, he goes, that's that was Amy Fisher. Wow. So you didn't you didn't recognize her? Did she? Do I didn't. Something? I didn't. And I always people say, how did you not? I said, I don't know. You know, you're you're. It's like almost saying when you go to the grocery store, can yeah. you, when you leave, can you describe the cashier? Right, you right. Know, if there's nothing outstanding about the person, you don't notice it. Right. And and I really didn't. So six months later, it didn't ring a bell at all to me. Well, now, so so obviously for a 17-year-old girl to to do this, you know, in a middle-class neighborhood, um you know, sort of a perfect, uh, you describe it so well in the book, and I, I grew up on Long Island, and I went to Stony Brook, State University of Stony Brook, so oh. I spent a lot of years on Long Island, mm-hmm. and I know how idyllic um, that May Day <laughs> would have been behind mm-hmm. a white picket fence and all. Um, yep. And so, you know, for for a 17-year-old girl to actually do this at close point blank range, um, obviously there had to have been, I mean, she had to have been obsessed with your husband. Right, right, right. So it made it, again, you know, I call it the perfect storm. It was easier to believe him than her. And no matter what she came out with or what her lawyer came out with, nine out of ten of the things were wrong. The only thing that was true was he had an affair with her, I'm sure. I mean, again, nobody's ever admitted to me, but I figured it out. For a brief period of time, like about three or four weeks before she turned 17. So that was the only thing that he was ever charged with. But now, okay, but then why, if, I mean, there was the, the, the question of the, let's see, there was the, um, they said that <clears throat> Joey had had sex with her, um, let's see, I have the day, and it was about 10 months in any case before she shot you. So, right. and you don't really, by, by the end of the book, you don't really, I mean, it is kind of vague as far as, and I was thinking maybe it was because you were struggling still, it's, it's that you don't want to believe the, the extent of the affair. Do you think you still struggle with that? No, no, not at all. I, I just have, have figured out that I'm not going to get certain answers to things in my life. I mean, for many, many years I was obsessed with why. Why did you do this to yes. me? Why, why, why? And I had a couple of opportunities to ask her, uh, and it's like she doesn't want to talk about it, or she doesn't know, or she was angry. She took out her anger on me. I'm never, and I've had to almost accept the fact it happened, and I'll never know why. Now, if Joe and her were having this affair uh, for ten months or two weeks, I- I'm never going to get the truth. I wasn't there. He won't admit to a certain thing. She won't admit. So it's kind of like, you know what? It happened. I, I can't obsess on uh-huh. how many days or how many times. You know, it just comes that point it's just like when i forgave her it's just you in my life in these past 17 years i have had to accept things that i can't change or fix or control and it, for my mental sanity it's just just accept it mary joe it happened it doesn't yeah. matter why it happened it just happened yes um I mean, I guess the only thing, the only piece of evidence that did put a, I mean, I don't know why they said um, how they got that first time frame um, that was 10 months before. What they, what were they basing that on? But I know there was a receipt from a motel. Was that, yeah. was that the time frame? Um, that would be in the time frame. She had apparently said to them the first time was when uh, Joe brought her home. Like they had dropped the car off to be repaired, and he brought her home. 
and they had sex in the house. Now, that's what she said. Joe, right. of course, denied that. Right. But, of course, I took her home. I do that with all the customers, right. which, again, was true. I mean, every time you bring, you bring your car down and you say, you'll, you'll get it back tomorrow, I'll bring you back to your house. Right. He did that all, they did that all the time. So, again, another thing that I could believe. Now, these motel receipts. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. We'll have to wait with the motel receipt until we come back. (laughs) Mary Jo, we we do have to take another break. The time is going so quickly. We're talking, I'm talking today with Mary Jo Botafuco. Her book is Getting It Through My Thick Skull. When we come back, we'll hear more of her story. And I'm sure you're getting the picture that she is uh, not only brave to have survived the whole ordeal itself, but to have written a book about it to help other women. So stay tuned, and we'll hear more. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with Mary Jo Buttafuoco today. Getting It Through My Thick Skull is her book, and we were just before the break talking about a uh, the the motel. <laughs> Talk about also another soap opera kind of thing, the <laughs> motel receipt. Yes. yes. The motel receipts came forward somehow, and to show, in writing all of this down and now looking back and realizing now that I was married to a sociopath then, it makes sense, the constant denials and the constant lies. No matter what was brought out or presented, whether it was evidence or anything, he always had an answer or a story. And in this case, he swore to all of us that the police forged forged it, that they hadn't, they didn't have any evidence because it was a he said, she said, and so he, they forged his signature on a motel receipt, and we believed him. Yes. Well, you know, um, we'll, we'll talk about Joey as a bad boy in a moment. As you even mentioned in your book, you talk about falling in love with a bad boy, and of course my book was Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them, and I wish you would have read that yeah, earlier on, <laughs> so that maybe you could have uh, saved yourself some grief. Right. Um, but but before we go to bad boys, I, I actually am in the process right now of writing bad girls. And Amy Fisher obviously fits into the category. I defined 12 categories of bad boys, and I'm defining 12 categories of bad girls. And she fits into the husband stealer ca- category, uh, or she might fit into the, uh, I haven't quite decided yet, she might be fitting into the, the uh, woman scorned category if you believe the fatal attraction scenario. Um, you know, it's very interesting. B- bad girls in general, uh, just, well, just like bad boys, you know, there's something, well, just like any of us, there's something in our childhood that makes us do what we do. And um, with Amy, she certainly seems to have been someone who is likely to have been uh, abused, molested in some way. It's so interesting that she made up that story about um, the the little sister uh, her, that Joey had an affair with her 16-year-old sister because when when little girls are molested um, by their fathers, by someone else, they often do uh, go through a dissociation. Yes, where they it's not them. You know, they see themselves. They're hovering up above and they see themselves being molested, and it almost is like that. That uh, you know, in fact, I guess she did say that she was 16 when he when they first had a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's like she's trying to, you know, to, to not think of it as being her, it was my sister. Um, what, do you know anything more about uh, her relationship with her parents and especially her father? Yes, I, I do know when, in 1999, she was granted a new trial uh, based on inappropriate counsel from her, from her attorney. And I did meet with the mother. Now, I had heard stories about her being sexually molested by her father and by other people. Never to this day have I gotten a name. It's a family friend. It's always a family friend. Now, again, like dissociation, is it the family friend or was it the parent? Mm. Because if you think about it, you know, if we want to psychoanalyze this, She's always was attracted to men who were old enough to be her father. As a matter of fact, she's married to a man who's 25 or 26 years older than, mm. than her. And I met with the mother, and the mother confirmed to me vaguely. She never came out and said it. I think she was too embarrassed and ashamed. I, I felt so bad for her, this woman. She was a beaten woman. 
And apparently when Amy was a little girl, uh, she, uh, Roseanne, again, she was 21 years old, and Elliot, the father, was in his 40s when they got married. He was Jewish, and she was Italian Catholic. Her family did not want her to marry this Jewish man who had already been divorced and had another kid. So she defied them, Roseanne, the mother, and married Elliot and had Amy. Well, apparently a couple years into the relationship, it did become abusive. And Roseanne told me this herself, that she tried to leave and go back to her parents. And her parents were these old European Italians who said, no, 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 you made your bed, you go lie in it. You go back to him. We, we warned you and we told you. And it's too late now. And she had to go back. And so with feeling that she had no place else to go or nothing else to do, this relationship became very toxic. And then as, as Amy grew up, um, something happened in that house for sure between the father and the daughter. There's no question about it. And the mother confirmed that in, in a vague way by saying, yes, there was definite abuse. But she didn't say, specify sexual abuse? But no. you got that impression? I got that impression. I guess that must be the most difficult thing to say. Your, your daughter almost murdered somebody. And you're now looking back on her life and realizing, I, I, I should have taken her out of this situation, and I didn't. You know, Roseanne has a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yes. So it was just something I don't think that she could just speak the words because it was just too painful. Yes, yes. But it's most obvious to me now because Amy uses her sexuality to this day. I mean, she's 35 years old. She's married with three children to a man, again, who's also 25, 26 years older than her. And uh, she her she makes her living going around to strip clubs and pole dancing and um, you know X-rated um, videos she makes. Yes, which also could well be a sign of her having been previously abused uh, as a child. Um, right. Was there any anything else that came out in regard to uh, whether whether like? You're assuming, I mean, you, you do agree that there was some kind of sexual relationship between the two of them. Was there so, anything that you ever found out where he may have been rejecting her at that point or, or you know, where she, where she felt that she had to get rid of you? I don't think so. I think uh, looking back that uh, it was something to conquer, and he did, and he wasn't going to risk his marriage and is you know standing in the community, so it was just he got bored because sociopaths do get bored and they move on. But being that she was so psychologically ill, he did not know that. Mm. You know that's this is every cheating man's worst nightmare. That, mm. that you know the 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 woman comes and tries to murder the wife. Uh, that doesn't happen. People have affairs all the time, and they might tell the truth. And there's crying and there's lying, and you either make up or you get divorced. But this this violence that came out. I think it, he had no clue that she would do something like that. Hmm. And I guess in her mind, whether uh, when when he wasn't fulfilling the fantasy, even if even if he hadn't rejected her, but if he wasn't fulfilling the fantasy of marrying her and letting and making a house with a white picket fence with her, I guess that she might have concocted the idea that if she could only get rid of you, then they could live happily ever after. And, and, you know, if you think about it, she was 17. I was 37. There were two children. I had a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old. Like you said, what are you thinking? You're a a kid and you want to move in and take... I had kids that are near your age. What, what, What are you thinking? So you're right. I think it was just he 
was done with her, and she kept coming into the shop and coming in, and he was like, hi, 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 but wasn't you know responding anymore because he had moved on. Mm-hmm. And this, and I guess you're right. In her head, it was like maybe if I get rid of Mary Jo, I'll have him all to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes. Well, let's talk about Joey, since I know that um, a lot of, you know, why you went through the pain of dredging all of this, the whole story up, and, and it's in such interesting detail. I mean, of course, tragic, but but you don't spare anything, um, is to warn women about what how how compelling um, it it can be to be with a associate. I mean, even after this happened, you stayed with him for how many years later? How many um, years afterwards? Almost eight, almost eight years. And 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 we're still uh, even though the whole world, even though he was ultimately put in jail, um, yeah. you still well, stood by him. That was another story that I got when it was getting so hot and heavy. Uh, you know, he had told us that he was going to sacrifice and go to jail and plead guilty to one count because he didn't want to spend the rest of his life in jail. He was doing this for me and the children and our family. So he was going to admit to something that he didn't do and do his four months, and then we'd move on with our lives. And each time you're do- he's doing this stuff, he's convincing not just me, but he's convincing our parents, his and mine, He's convincing all of our brothers and sisters. He's convincing everybody in the neighborhood. And being that he has this very, very um, charismatic personality, I mean, if you meet Joe, you're going to like Joe. He has just got this way. He always did. He was the guy on the block who you could go to to help out for anything. He'd give you to do anything for you. He made you laugh. He was very, very well-liked in the neighborhood. Everybody loved him. And you both were high school sweethearts. You sort of set your, you were friends, and then you set your cap for him. You were attracted to him, wanted to get him. He was the bad boy that, you know, you like. like. I was going to fix. I was going to fix, yes. I was going to tame the bad boy. I don't know why. You know, I, I look back and go, why was I like that? And I don't know. I'm the oldest of five girls. I am nurturing and a mother and, you know, was put in that role as the oldest child of five to be mama's helper. And I meet this man, and he was very good to me. He loved me to pieces. He always was adoring me and, and loving me and helping me. So I responded and, to that. And needing you. You right. said and also needing I you. To be needed. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, yeah, we, it, what I talk about is how women who are attracted to bad boys, and I say every woman just about has been attracted uh, sometimes for their whole life and sometimes just one bad boy is enough mm-hmm. to do them in, but um, this is something that's pretty universal. And a lot of it has to do with um, sort of unfinished business that the woman has with her own, especially her own father. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could think about that over the break. Yeah. When we come back, we'll hear more. Um, We're talking with Mary Jo Bonifugo. Her book is Getting It Through My Thick Skull, Why I Stayed, What I Learned, and What Millions of People Involved with Sociopaths Need to Know. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Son, we got to talk about drinking. I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And back with Mary Jo Buttafuoco and her book, Getting It Through My Thick Skull. Before the break... I was um, really putting her on my couch and telling her that um, women who love bad boys, uh, it usually comes from unfinished business with their dads, and they wind up marrying someone who's like their dad or the opposite of their dad or some other reason that is connected, unconsciously, of course, to their dad. And uh, during the break, Mary Jo was explaining this to me, which she now will to you. Yeah, I, I was saying that, you know, looking back, I'm the oldest of five girls, and I, my dad, 
although he was he loved me, I never felt that he didn't love me. Um, never told me I was pretty or beautiful, which every little girl wants to hear from their daddy. Like, you know, marriage, you're beautiful. Yes. And he never did. So about 10 years ago, we were talking, and I asked him, I said, Dad, why didn't you ever tell me I was pretty? And he looked and he said, you know, marriage, I'm very, very sorry that I never did, but I thought that if I said that to you, you would get a big head and you'd be too full of yourself. And he realized it was wrong, but that was how he was raised, that I might get too too much of, like, look at me, I'm beautiful, and have a stuck and be stuck up. And he, he didn't understand that I was craving to hear, you know, my daddy say, Mary Jo, you're so beautiful. Yes, as all and little so girls And so Joe do. comes along, and that's all he ever says. Oh, you're so beautiful, Mary Jo. And boy, did that, it, it pulled me right in. Yes. And that's that's one of the uh, the the traits, this uh, instinctual knowledge of what to say and what to do that sociopaths or uh, these ki- or bad boys uh, have this this sort of um, radar to be able to tune into what the girl needs in order to be able to manipulate her. Um, what's interesting, it, and and you know you were right, you wrote about how Joey uh, lost his mother at age eleven. And that, of course, was the psychologically defining uh, moment for him. And he fits into two different categories of my 12 bad boy types. One is the frazzled frog um, who is a, a kid, and you say that actually in the book, that he never has grown up. It's like a kid who never grows up. And all, they, are, they need somebody to help them get their life together. And um, they become very dependent upon you. And they also often have at least one other addiction, as Joey actually did. You, you talk about in the book his cocaine addiction. Right. And girls who go for these frazzled frogs um, are girls who usually didn't have a father in childhood. The father was either dead or uh, a workaholic or emotionally not there. Uh, or or divorced, you know, they're either physically or emotionally not present. And it seems like perhaps your father wasn't emotionally present um, to the extent that, with, with affection and so on, to the extent that you needed it. And the reason why girls with those kinds of fathers um, pick frazzled frogs is because these guys unconsciously seem like they are the least likely to leave. You know, because the way, same way they become dependent upon the cocaine, they can become dependent upon you. And it's so there's there's a little um, um, overlap between that and another type that I call the Prince of Darkness. Uh, over overlap in the sense of this dependency um, on the woman, the Prince of Darkness. And you mentioned you compare Joey to O.J. and Scott Peterson. And the Prince of Darkness, and this is more of the sociopath kind of guy, and, and of course, just like, you know, you, the way you were describing Joey lying, um, <laughs> you, you know, it does make you think about O.J. And, and how he would go on television and just, just say these things so convincingly. Um, and, and these are guys who do uh, sort of, Get have a whirlwind kind of courtship. I mean, I know you were you went with Joey for five years before you were married, but he was sort of always on this whirlwind, always taking you on this whirlwind courtship where he does tell you how beautiful you are and wonderful you are and how he can't live without you. Right. And and then when 
when it seems like, and this was sort of after what happened, um, when it seems like you were getting stronger and you went through so much to, to get stronger on, on your own um, after all of this, that when they see that you're actually becoming stronger and that you're going to find the courage and the strength to walk away, they become um, desperate to make sure, even though at that point he was going out with someone else and so on, mm-hmm. he, he became desperate um, to not have you leave him. Oh, so true, so true. And that's because I was his willing victim. He had me so brainwashed um, that, that with me he could get away with everything he did. In other words, when he did something, no matter what it was, when I would threaten to leave, when I would say, this is over, this marriage is over, I can't do this anymore, well, you know, he would get down on bended knee and swear to me that he couldn't live without me and this will never happen again and please don't go. And, you know, I'd steam for a few days and then he'd keep, you, you know, it's a very heady thing to be told you can't be lived without. I can't live without you. I can't, I'll never make it without you. I have stacks of letters that say, please don't ever leave me. I'll die. I can't live without you. And so I would, he'd lull me back into there and he'd be good for a period of time. Until the next time, and that could have been a year. Could have gone by between between stints, no matter whatever it was. It wasn't something that happened on a daily basis. But as the years went by, and then especially after I got shot, it just grew more and more chaotic. And and like every sociopath, it just does. It becomes. It doesn't get better. It only gets worse. Yes. And I understand that now he, I was asking you um, during the break about how he feels about you calling him a sociopath, and you told me he's he's suing you, which is what a sociopath would be likely to do. I was going to say, in true sociopathic behavior, (laughs) he is suing me for defamation of character. Uh, and, And, you know, you have to laugh because you go, my God, this guy doesn't think he's done anything wrong. I mean, this man has gone to jail more to- four times in his life for, for you know unfortunately child rape if you will um, uh, insurance fraud violation probation uh, p- under picking up an undercover police officer who was a hooker and he's concerned that I'm calling him a sociopath and he's going to sue me <laughs> for for defaming his character so it is very laughable uh, that that this is how he thinks. Yes, yes. Well, but oh, I was starting to say that, that about how his mother's death was the defining moment because because of her abandonment. Um, you know that he—that's what made him so sensitive to abandonment from any other woman. And so that kind of color it makes him feel entitled. Oh my! <laughs> oh my! There's the music. Well, I before before we close. Please give people the uh, website that they can go to. You can go to MaryJoeButAFuco.com, and my book, Getting It Through My Thick Skull, is, can be ordered from Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, or in your local bookstores. And again, I'll spell that out for you. It's MaryJoeButAFuco, M-A-R-Y-J-O-B-U-T-T-A-F-U-O-C-O. Correct. I'm sure you'll be able to Google her and find yes. find all of <laughs> this. And please, <laughs> and, and please, yes, they have it under, you can even spell it wrong and you'll get it right. Um, right. Go to her website, check out this book. Um, it's, a, it's a really, it's, it's an amazing story. And, and what we didn't get to, but I'll just kind of wrap it up, um, it has a very happy ending. Mary, has, Mary Jo has found love, and after she got herself together, which was a painful 
very difficult process, but it shows that any woman can do it. Well, it shows at least, (laughs) I don't know about, at least it shows the guideposts and gives you inspiration to do it. Let's put it that way. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Carol. I really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome, and I really wish you well with this. And and, and I'm sure it will bring more attention to the book, which will be a good thing. If you yeah, persist in trying to uh, <laughs> that's true. trying to sue you, so again, thank you so much. The book is called "Getting It Through My Thick Skull: Why I Stayed, What I Learned, and What Millions of People Involved with Sociopaths Need to Know." So go out and get it. And thank you again, Mary Jo. And thank, thank you all you. for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.